right, welcome to the podcast today. Um, I am excited for you to enjoy today's guest, another nexus, another nexus of dogs and mental health, and in this case, very much. You know, I don't like cliches or trite things, platitudes. Uh, this is someone very much interested in smashing stigma. We'll get to Michael Overly shortly. I think he's found a really good gateway into people who are completely averse to mental health. He's helped a lot of people. He's an author. It's going to be a great conversation. First up, can I borrow your kid? Ultimate Dinosaurs is at the Imagination Station. Yes, yeah, some local things to get to here. Um, it specializes in dinosaurs from South America, which wasn't really a thing, the current South America. Um, I have said before some places, we're like in the golden age of dinosaur fossil discovery. Um, it seems like in the last few decades, almost like these dinosaurs were, were made up. I When I go to Target looking for Transformers, I see all these Jurassic Park toys and I'm like, did they make up the names of these dinosaurs? Maybe, I mean, everything is made up, right? Um, no, we've just found a lot of dinosaurs in the last few decades. These dinosaurs that part of Pangaea, the, the continent separated, remember, um, they were, there, there were dinosaurs in Antarctica, but it wasn't that cold back then. So these dinosaurs that are going to be at this exhibit are massive. The really, really big ones, which dwarf, uh, the, the T-Rex. Um, I'm not dating anybody right now. I've kind of retired from dating. I'm in a good spot. Um, I unfortunately hurt somebody recently because it's just uh, a little too ambitious, a little too eager, whatever. Um, but I've kind of retired from dating. I'm in a good spot. The couch, the dogs, my weekend hibernation, uh, my community events, and my friend group. Um, so I'm not dating anybody. And oftentimes I date somebody, they have like a kid, like four or five, six years old. And um, I, I borrow that kid. And we get along because we have similar maturity levels and interests. I can get down with Paw Patrol and uh, and PJ Masks. So um, I'll have to ask a friend if they want me to take their kid. No, they will give me, I'm not taking anybody's kid. They will offer me their kid and the kid can go see the dinosaurs. I'll pay and they get an afternoon free. Some big Apple news, not the headset stuff. Um, Autocorrect is finally no longer going to correct fuck and turn it into duck. Um, If you read some of my posts, you would say, Eric, you have no right. You have no room to be a um, grammar snob because you can't spell. I can spell. I'm actually a very good speller. But I'm lazy. I post things too quickly. I say things too quickly. I have typos, careless ones, because I don't uh, proofread. Very bad at proofreading. I, I, could, I need a good editor. So things go up and it looks like I can't spell. 50% of the time, it's laziness and me not proofreading. The other 50%, it's autocorrect, changing my words and me not proofreading. Um, I have considered turning off autocorrect before. It is very much love, hate. And it, I've done the math in my brain or on the napkin in my brain, 50% of the time autocorrect helps or the predictive text helps. The other 50% of the time, it screws me over. Um, The Old Orchard Garden Tour is this Sunday, which, um, you know, East Side people, East Toledo people, when they get out, they go to, uh, they go to Oregon. 
Um, they're the bougie, the bougie East, East Toledoans. Uh, I look at Old Orchard as the people who can't quite afford Ottawa Hills or just don't want to. It is a beautiful neighborhood. The Garden Tour reminds me of Wander the Warehouse District, where you can do just that, which is every September. Mixed in with a little bit of last weekend's Old West End Festival house tours. So that's Sunday. Um, this weekend is Phase 2 Grand Opening of Glass City Metro Park with the Skating Ribbon, the Roller Skating Ribbon Party, 7 o'clock on Saturday night. We've talked a bunch about this with Matt Killam last week. Um, the one food debate I will get into is I like my nachos piled high. We've talked about this before, but the Bill of Fare is an anonymous restaurant review in The Blade. They hit up Lowrider Cafe, which I have heard nothing but phenomenal things about since they've opened three, four, five, six years ago. And they said the nachos are big. So I have to check it out or look into it in some way because I do like them big, not spread out across a plate. So each nacho has a little bit of all the toppings. Eric, if they're piled high and you don't eat them fast enough, they get soggy. We'll eat faster. Share them. Um, and the, the soggy ones are still okay too. There is a Way Public Library book sale next week. You know, I, I often like talking about uh, the Friends of the Library book sale, which is like once a month. And I think I figured out why. It reminds me of the scholastic book fairs where we never had quite enough money to buy what we wanted when we were kids. Um, I spoke to my family uh, yesterday because of all the, um, the air quality stuff, which if you didn't know, like has reached us. Uh, my brother sent me some pictures, very, very hazy, not the darkness that you might've seen with uh, New York City, but you could definitely tell. Um, and I did see this morning, Philadelphia has the has the worst air quality on, on the planet from these from these wildfires in, in Quebec that are coming down. Uh, look at that, more climate issues. Maybe I have to apply to that the same thing I apply to all the other bad news. The planet isn't really being destroyed we don't really have that many issues we do have some but it's just more people telling us about them possibly um i told my dad this morning when i was talking to him and i recognized this yesterday um, when i was leaving the gym in this morning as well and you can probably relate it's been very pleasant the last couple of days yeah very pleasant it's 70s low 80s no humidity at all but if you just look outside i said this to my dad it's very pleasant But if you just look outside, it looks like it's a hazy, hot, humid day. Uh, Pat Robertson, um, big Christian guy who dabbled in the politics, uh, passed away, 93 years old, the Iron Sheik, who some people, you know how uh, there are are people who love the game. They they probably have no idea that John Madden was a, a coach, a Super Bowl winning coach, and a legendary announcer. There are kids that play Madden that have no idea or little idea about who he is. Again, it's just an age thing. They're, they're too young. There are some people who probably think Iron Sheik was just like a Twitter star. He's a really big time wrestler in the, what, 80s and 90s and became very funny on Twitter. He's passed away. But so is Pat Robertson. And to him, I apply how I felt when Rush Limbaugh passed away. I deeply respected um, his gifts and talents as a broadcaster. He literally created what you could call a genre of broadcasting. Um, 
conservative talk radio, which is the most predominant, powerful, successful type of news and political radio since the last you know, three decades. Um, he created that. And I can compartmentalize him doing that with the things that he said, a lot of which he said on those shows. So I apply to Pat Robertson what I thought about Rush Limbaugh at the time. Again, I can compartmentalize the things. Um, when awful people die, I have no remorse or sympathy for my words or thoughts. Well, Eric, they have, what if they have family, kids, daughters, nephews, cousins, wives? Well, those people either believed in their beliefs or they're going to be better off because they can escape those types of hateful beliefs. And Rush Limbaugh, Pat Robertson, others like them catalyzed were the birth, genesis, the beginning of hateful, evil, exclusive thoughts um, for who knows how many people. Tens of thousands. Uh, Perrysburg, I found this interesting. They are, you know, the, the area is growing and they have talked about before, there's not enough space in the schools. So a bond is going to make it on the ballot this year. And even for Perrysburg, it's kind of pricey for, you know, they always do these by like a $100,000 home. Usually the Toledo ones is like for a $100,000 home, you pay X amount. This was registered at $250,000. So for a $250,000 home in Perrysburg, this bond monthly will be about $40. So um, to to hit an estimate with a bullseye, Perrysburg people are going to have to vote yes or no to build more schools or expand the schools that they have for more students. And you would think that this this wouldn't be as much as it is. And it would actually be more if there were less people in Perrysburg, more people, more tax money. Um, but it, it's this it's this this confusing circle. Oh God, what was that thing? What's the, the time travel thing? I can't think of the loop. Oh, it's bugging me. It's like that. Less people, uh, fewer, fewer, less need for bigger schools and whatnot. More people, more need for schools, but also more people to pay the taxes. It would be around $500 a year. So if you're a Perrysburg person, would you pay $500 a year or so? Um, would you vote yes or no on that? I'm curious to see what happens if that does not go through. Let's go through to the guest. I was really excited uh, this is one of those conversations. Didn't know what I was getting into because I was set up with a very good friend. She said, you're going to want to talk to this guy. Uh, but his name is Michael Overly. He is an author and much, much more. He is smashing stigma and getting people to talk about mental health who before his idea never would have considered it. But he found the trick or in this case, the dog trick. I need to thank uh, my friend, Dr. Janet, uh, for connecting us. How did you how did you connect with, uh, I guess, now the departing professor from University of Toledo? Here where we are. I know, right? Yeah, I'm, God, I'm so excited for her. She's moving on. Um, I connected with her on LinkedIn. Uh, we're both connected uh, to a whole ton of animal advocates and dog lovers and um, world shakers. And so that's where we that's where I'm at. Um, what what kind of communication and dialogue did you have? Did you stumble across uh, her research or anything about the the Ho- the Harp program? Yeah, Harp. It's been some years since we had some one of those meetings. No, I actually know nothing about the Harp program. Ah, um, well, 
Um, Harp was, her and I connected, uh, God, like maybe six six years ago or so. Harp, Hope and Recovery Pets Program with uh, our big hospital system here called ProMedica. And it was kind of a pilot program. It was to help people with chronic mental illness, uh, connecting them with pets. And then Dr. Janet was doing all types of research on levels of oxytocin to see whether it went up as one would predict that it would after the, uh, the person and the animal bonded and what kind of effects that bond had on on that person managing their illness. Um, she did lots of research on it. And, you know, this is one of the things where I wanted to catch up with you about. Like, I get it. Like, she as a researcher and a professor, um, it makes common sense that animals make us feel good. But to get the big grants and to move some of these things forward, she's got to show the data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we live in an evidence-based society, right? So- Absolutely. Um, you, let me know if I got this right. You are a canine partnered energy coach. Um, you help men find energy through canine bonding, providing a life with purpose. You're also an author, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, I've written one book. I uh, co-authored with 19 other people a second book, and I'm writing um, my own second book right now. It's a heavy lift, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Um, what is a canine partnered energy coach? So I work with guys and their dogs to do all a number of different things. A lot of it has to do with emotional maturity. Um, it doesn't matter what level of life you're at success-wise. I've worked with guys who do air conditioning to um, you know, CEOs. Uh, what it comes down to is, is in order to design a better life for yourself and realizing that you just don't know why you show up the way you do. and Emotionally, our dogs have access to this place in us that we don't even realize. We don't even know how, how much they are able to get in. And um, it's a place to start and realize that that's a relationship like any other relationship, but there's a deeper bond there. How I was, I was wondering if. So I'm, I don't know what Dr. Janet told you, but I, mental health is, it, it's my thing. And, you know, looking back, uh, even in recent years, my dogs had one dog in particular, literally like saved my life through some real agony that I've, I, I was going through. But like a lot of people, I've had dogs around me my, my entire life. So I, I get what you're selling, but when I was reading a little bit more about you, I would, I, I guess that you were going to be more focusing on people who were maybe, there still is a stigma with with mental health, particularly with men. I mean, we're. If, I keep saying if COVID did one thing, it got more people to tend to their mental health. But there are still plenty of stigma, still plenty of people who will just ignore it and scoff at it. And I thought those are the people that you would work with because if you could dangle the carrot of your dog can help you feel better, it can maybe have them push through the stigma. Do you come across anybody like that? Absolutely, and that's that's actually where I'm going with my nonprofit. Um, I, I literally just filed the paperwork with the IRS, um, state of Colorado. I've got my, what, whatever you call it, the corporate filings and my federal and employer identification number. That's all in play. Um, but the nonprofit is aimed at, um, it's called Save 2, and it's going to help save lives on both ends of the leash. And it's directed exactly what you're talking about. So we're going to be diving into mental health, taking what I've done before and gone going even further with it um let's go back to the person that already has their dog and deepening that relationship from what i was reading up on it seems like it's like a level of mindfulness that you're um 
coaching people to dive into with their pet. And I've I've always kind of I've I've been I'm a failed meditator, um, but I will always I'm always open minded to mindfulness and. Um, my life has been good recently, so I haven't had to beat myself up about it. But I get what you're talking about. Some of my most peaceful moments are with my my dogs. Um, can you talk about like getting to that layer where they're connecting with the person, but you can connect with them to kind of maybe reach that that Zen point that a lot of people seek? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I love talking about this. So most people don't know how to meditate i think there's this expectation that we all have to become you know zen buddhist priests by the end of a 10 minute session um a lot of times we're told we have to do it for an hour it can be five minutes right a meditation can be walking you don't have to sit and stare at a candle you can be outside with your dog and turn that into a meditation so it can be you know feeling the breeze on your face counting leaves looking at the grass it's just getting to this place of uh, peace and calm where other things can come in and not shape you, right? Um, there's a common misconception of meditation in that it's just there to make you feel good. Well, meditation is actually a way to get into things that you haven't healed, things that don't necessarily feel good. And you can do that so much more easily with a good meditation partner like your dog. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I have about a thousand different exercises for guys to go out and do different things, and they're all 10 minutes long to start because, you know, hell, we can, we can do a 10-minute walk with our dog, right? What what are uh, what are a few of those those common exercises that you? Uh, I always encourage people do what works for you. Uh, my my one joke is if if you want to sit with uh, sit Indian style or whatever um, in your living room with peanut butters peanut butter on your on your ears, I wouldn't do it around my dogs. But if it works for you, continue to do it. What are some of the more common ones that uh, that guys you've worked with have had success with? <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love the peanut butter. Um, so. There's a, about 20 of them that I prescribe frequently for taking a walk, but you do it a little differently each time. Um, and that goes back to a beginner's mindset. If, if you're doing something the same over and over and over again, we just, we, don't, we go on autopilot, right? Yeah. We drive the same way to work. We eat the same food. We sit at the same place when we have dinner or breakfast or eat lunch with our friends if we even do that. You know, it's autopilot. So next time you take your dog for a walk, go left. Yeah. Instead, instead of right, um, go to a different dog park. If you like going to take your dogs to water, go to a different place. It's creating small shifts. Um, I got this from someone else, but it's called a one degree shift. You do one thing a little bit differently and see what that does for you. And it creates this other awareness. Um, and I, I, I encourage guys to do, really pay attention to what their dog is doing. What are they sniffing? I mean, you don't have to get on your hands and knees and smell it, but what are they doing? And get get in, you know, get in there. Take a look. What are you looking at? What are you so incensed about? Right? Um, you have no idea what you're going to see. I know. Um, so I deal with a bipolar too, and I also have a friend who works with a lot of people who, are, who have borderline personality disorder, the other BPD, if you want to go with acronyms or whatnot. And there, I know there's a. 
for someone like myself, um, routine is often good. Um, for others with other mental illnesses, routine is imperative, but for others, maybe not. I mean, it's different, I guess, with every person, but some of these practices are better with others. Um, to your point, one of the things I had to teach myself was routine is good until it becomes so mundane, you're doing it lifelessly and like without paying attention, how we can almost, like you said, drive to work with without even like paying attention to anything. It's just muscle memory. And to your point of the one degree, that's what I tell people. Like sometimes when I'm in one of my ruts, in instead of doing the regular dog walk, that's just it. Like go left. I go the other way around the block. And I think a lot of people get... Um, not pseudoscience advice, but the, you know, do yoga, take deep breaths, go to the gym, eat better, but not everything works for everybody. And one of the things that I think is, is common with all that is you got to get into a routine and that works until you get to that mindlessness point, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's such an amazing point. You know, going back to the driving, like we actually enter a trance-like state. It's a good way to put it when we do this routine, this pattern over and over and over again, because we don't have to be aware. We don't have to be, our subconscious is literally driving. So we just, we zone out. We do it in front of the TV, but we're scrolling Facebook. We actually enter this other state, right? And it's so important to be aware of, of where you're at, what's going on and how you're feeling. Obviously when you're driving, that's a good thing, but these other things in your life. And we, we love patterns and we love routine because it's comforting right there's an expectation that is met we know what's coming and um it, it's hard for a lot of us to get out of that i'm sure when you began this uh, this venture to help guys out um you used the p word and the p word uh is purpose and i think you and i could walk out to any strip mall and a very large amount of people who walked up to 10, seven of them might go, I don't really know what my purpose is. You know, people have commitments to their family and whatnot and they're, they have pride in their work. But a lot of people, many people who wind up in therapy, it's because I don't, I don't know why I'm here. So you talked about like CEOs or people that are just blue collar workers. Um, have they, how many, I'm sure a lot of people come to you going, help me find my purpose. How do you work with them on something like that? <laughs> Love it, love it, love it, love it. So I've worked with guys who, this is just to <clears throat> give a perspective, who have realized that they're playing small in their life and something they, they really wanted to do they've never gone for because they were too afraid, afraid of succeeding, afraid of failing, whatever it is. And I've worked with guys who were, you know, at the top of that money level and they think, oh, I've made it, I've made it, but I'm still unhappy and miserable, why is that? And we do some work and they realize, Man, I don't even like what I do. Yeah, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm wasting my life. Um, so, the purpose is literally different for every single person, right? So, you know, you, you have to have brain surgeons. You have to have ditch diggers. We we have we have this in this society. It's not about the actual activity. It's your level of fulfillment in doing the activity. And may, maybe you have a decent job, but you've got this side hustle or you work for a nonprofit as a volunteer, those things are fulfilling enough for folks to have their purpose. 
it's a fine line these days as well. I got wrapped up in it in parts of my career where, where we want to we find that purpose, but then that purpose uh, or that passion becomes becomes a prison. And it's going back again to that fine line, like routine is good until you get into that trance that you talked about. Um, have a lot of people recognize some of the, the high earners or whatnot, um, the high achievers, that maybe their purpose wasn't that and it was really just something like, right under their nose doing something completely different from what they had set out to do when they were young yeah and I, that's that's a hard one um a lot of people they, they, they'll realize it and they'll be like i'm stuck i'm still trapped right i have this level of responsibility i've got this big house i've got a family i've got all these things to support i can't change um and there's, there's some guys in transition around that but it's it's just fantastic what we can find out about ourselves when we when we really look into it, right? So the question is, whose dream are you living? Yeah, you know, you have these people who are who have achieved, quote unquote, this level, whatever it is. Whose dream is that? Was was that yours? Is that your dad's? Your grandfather's? Your you know your mother, father, teacher, preacher, whatever it is? Are you living as you want to live? And people don't ask themselves that. To the, to the responsibilities that you pointed out, I'm fortunate. Um, if I wanted to change my purpose and do whatever and move to the other side of the planet right now, I really could because I don't have um, any family here locally. It's literally just my dogs and, and my friends and whatnot. But to your to your point, a lot of people, I think we're sim- somewhat similar in age. A lot of people have a mortgage and their kids in school. They can't exactly do a, a 180 real fast. So what are you able to maybe work with them on and finding you know, smaller outlets, smaller pieces of purpose that are fulfilling to them within those busy lives? Is it a boundaries thing? Yeah, it can be, absolutely can be. So we, we can go back to the one degree shift and I'm, I'm glad you brought up 180. You know, people, let's, let's talk about New Year's resolutions for a second. <laughs> they, they don't work, right? No. For, for 99% of the population because it's too radical of a change. So that's what, you know, if, if you really wanna change things, that's great, let's come up with a plan for you, right? Don't just dive off the deep end and go, woohoo, I'm free, because you're gonna be in trouble. If you can make one small shift toward what it is you want to do, sustain that for a little while, make another small shift, make another small shift, before you know it, you've made that one eight. Yeah. Um, tell me about your your childhood. Uh, tell me about the, the loud noises. I've been sensitive to noise since I can literally remember. Um, and... I mean, I could walk into an apartment store when I was like five years old and I could hear the lights overhead, right? I don't know what that was about, but I could literally hear my mom stuck my hands over my ears and walk into, you know, whatever it is. I think it was Woolworths back in the day. (laughs) Um, Or Montgomery Ward, whatever. Oh, wow, you're really going back now to my childhood. Right? But yeah, I've always had that sensitivity and and I'm I'm sensitive in other ways too. And I think that's, you know, seen as a detriment by by a lot of folks in our society, but it's actually, as I've gotten older, I'm like, oh my God, these are gifts. So I can pick up on things that other people, they're just not aware of. Not that they can't do it, just they don't pay attention. There's a a Sherlock Holmes line somewhere, like you see, but you do not observe, something like that. And and I, I resonate with what you're saying because our... 
observation is always on. It can be overwhelmed fairly easily. I wish I had the ability to tune out like a lot of people do. Exactly. Yeah, I am easily overwhelmed by excessive stimulation. Um, You know, big crowds. Uh, Yeah, forget it. I can't do that stuff. Um, I'm the same. We just places. Yeah exactly the same I was reading your stuff and I was like yeah this is me in fact I've, I've kind of had some reflection in the last couple of months and then seen some people share online that they got an adult autism diagnosis and I look back at some of the things I've shared personally and in, in doing media I, I share a lot of stuff out there um, the noises the seeing things someone's voice from around the other side of the restaurant that nobody else can hear but it seems to carry my way I sit back and I, I wonder if I would share some of the things that you you have that have gotten to me, um, now it's it's just introversion or whatnot. But I, I do wonder if I walked into some some doctor's office in, in some case with where we've come in science and what we know in the last 20, 30 years, someone would diagnose our symptoms um, somewhere on the spectrum. And I know that's that's a lot of art, not necessarily so much science, but what are your what are your thoughts on that? I think we love to put labels on things. Yeah. It makes us feel better. Yeah. Um, I mean, if, if you want if you want to look at a spectrum, if you go from zero to 100, then everybody is somewhere on that spectrum. Sure. Right? So the, um, the, was it, the DSM-5 is out now, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. And I can't remember how many more entries there are from the last one, but it, it's it's obscene, in my opinion. I mean, how, how, how is our society coming up with all these new traits, new diagnoses, new issues. It's just people. Maybe we're just noticing more, but the more we label it, I think the the more difficult we make for people to heal from things. Yeah, I, I agree. My my diagnosis was a revelation. I appreciated having that that label. Um, but again, I think back to seeing some people get adult di- autism uh, adult autism diagnoses, and seeing them share some of the things that I think, see, and feel. And I was like, yeah, I I, I you're right. Maybe just we're all on the spectrum in, in some way, um, and we learn certain traits um, according to our profession. Some of us have to pay closer attention, and then that tune certain skills in the same way that you would work out in the gym. You can learn your observation skills, seeing and hearing. But when I read that you, that you could hear the humming of the lights, that reminded me of a lot of things that I look back on as a kid and, and things that I see, thought, and heard, and now I've carried into adulthood. But because of all my coping skills and coping uh, mechanisms, I am not a seven-year-old kid getting an autism diagnosis. I'm just an easily irritable 44-year-old who introverts really hard. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um. When tell how did dogs work in into all of this? I'm sure when you were young, like myself. Um. Yeah. So my first dog stage, um, he literally kept me from um, attempting suicide when I was like 11 or 12 years old. Um. My my dad had left the home and. I came up with some crazy idea that it was my fault that he left. Um, and I, I was in a really rough spot. And that damn dog, he could feel my energy. I'm convinced now, no matter where I was. And he would seek me out, uh, depending on my mood. And would just would hold that space for me. Just an amazing dog. Um, so he was the first. And I've had a number of amazing dogs since then who have all given me these, these incredible gifts. And now I, now I can see these things. 
that's one of the reasons I want to share this with everybody because there's so much out there, right? I mean, we all know that the universe is energy. I mean, physics has actually proven it. So why can't we begin to see that there's things that we just didn't realize? What is, uh, what's panic healing? Pan- oh, pranic. I think you mean pranic. P-R-A-N-I-C. Yep, there, there we go. Sorry about that. That's okay. No, panic healing sounds good too. <laughs> <laughs> We'd all like that. Yeah, what's what's pranic healing? And I also write reconnective healing um, and, and the Reiki that you learned. It sounds like a lot of like Eastern beliefs loosely tied or adjacent to, you know, the things that we, we read about in books with Buddhism and Zen and mindfulness. What are what are those those types of healing that you talked about? Absolutely. So Reiki is actually um, Japanese in nature. Um, started in Japan and was was held there like don't let anybody else find out about it. it was only taught to Japanese for the longest time and there was a woman who was a, in the lineage from the, the person who developed it moved to Hawaii and started teaching it to, to us white folks um, and it's just it's expanded it's beautiful um, and then pranic is I believe it's from a Korean physician who came up with this um, it's just another energy healing modality so is reconnective healing um, Eric, oh my gosh, it's his last name. I can't remember. Um, came up with reconnective healing after some experiences he's had. And I mean, there's got to be 100, maybe 200 out there. And it's just fantastic. It's just other people's resonances of how energy moves through them. That's all it is. Again, it's still just energy. But if something resonates with you, and we know what resonance is the frequency, frequency right? Um, it's just energy moving. And if there's something that sounds good to you, then... I'll check it out. I started with um, Healing Touch for Animals, and I was I had my doors blown off. It was amazing. I'm sure you you, you run into skeptics um, when you talk about energy and, and things like this. And then the simple analogy is, well, you, we call it now, like, what's the vibe? And I, I sure, I'm, I'm pretty positive, even the deepest skeptic or cynic um, would say, yeah, I've walked into a room before and I just felt the bad vibe. And that's exactly what you're talking about, right? Exactly. Yeah, we can we can feel, and we do. We feel things all the time. We just either dismiss it or we don't go any any deeper with that. So, I mean, touch an ice cube. It's cold. Touch a hot cup of tea. It's hot, right? That's literally energy. Also, we just don't think of it in those terms. But yeah, when you you can walk into a room and feel something like, oh, I don't really think I should go any further. Then yeah, maybe listen to that. Um, tell me about the uh, about the books. Your uh, the first one was uh, "Let Your Dog Lead." Yeah, yeah, that was that was fantastic. That was that was my first attempt at writing anything, um, you know, outside of school. And it was it, you know, written in a guy's perspective for other guys to realize, hey, there's there's another way to show up in the world. Um, after my brother's death in 2017, uh, I had this incredible experience where I I was shown who I was and how I was showing up in the room. I didn't like that guy at all. So I decided I wanted to make some changes. I've been on an incredible journey ever since. And that book was my way of saying, eh, there's, there's a way to look at something a little differently. Let, let your dog help you out. Um, do how do you feel about the second book and then the third book that you're beginning to work on? How are these going to differ? Obviously with experience, experiences that you've learned over the years, what direction are you going with those? So the, the second book that I'm in, in I, I was a co-author with, um, I wrote a chapter for, um, it's called um, 
the change, Insights into Self-Empowerment, and I'm in volume 17. The chapter title, um, can I cuss on here? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the title is, um, I Don't Know Shit. And it's about um, continuing going back to the beginner's mindset when I get stuck and I'm tra- I feel trapped and like, well, I need to change something, right? And, you know, we, we, we get so comfort, comforted in how our life runs and then we get upset when things change. Well, life is nothing but change and we wonder why we get upset all the time. So it's about coming back to the, that beginner's mindset and being open to, hey, maybe I need to do something different. So um, that was that one. So the third one is, it's called, and I'm, I think I'm going to change it, but I'm, it's, it's titled currently, Rescuing the Rescuer. And it's all about all these people who are out there trying to save everybody else and not taking care of themselves along the way. It's kind of like uh, one of the, uh, the the punny dog pictures I've seen, uh, stickers on people's cars or whatnot, like, uh, I didn't rescue them, they rescued me. Exactly. Yeah, I've seen uh, who rescued who. Yeah. You know, or she rescued me, he rescued me. Yeah. Do you do you have a, a diagnosis? I told you I, I, my stuff is bipolar too, and I always got hammered with the depression part of it um, harder than anything else. There was no the hypomania was productive. I, I I had undiagnosed anxiety, but when you know, like when you walk into a therapist's office or anybody else, and you you talk about suicide, they they really focus on that, not necessarily the anxiety that was literally burning up my body. So, do you have a diagnosis? I have not been given a formal diagnosis, but um, I realize that I have had a massive um, undiagnosed anxiety. Fan- I mean, it's fantastic one day. I was like, what the hell is this all about? And, you know, I, I talked to other people about theirs forever <laughs> and hadn't really um, looked at my own. So, um, yeah, that's actually something I'm working on diligently at this time. I wish they could write prescriptions for dogs um, because, again, I, I truly believe in if it works for you and you're not swapping one bad vice for another one and not hurting anybody else, um, do it. A, a quick anecdote that I, I constantly like to share, the worst year of my life, personally and professionally, one affected the other, was in 2012. Um, I had moved back out to Detroit and just for convenience reasons and whatnot, I left my dog back home in Philadelphia. And uh, my dad says, and he knew I was in, in some in bad shape he says i think you miss your dog and i was like dad that's 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 ridiculous or you i think he suggested me adopting a dog i said i can barely take care of myself so a week later i had this brilliant idea that i should go adopt a dog and uh that's the one that saved my life so another great tale of uh having a great idea that you that you dismissed of your parents at first but yeah if you don't want to take medication if you don't want to you know sit with your legs crossed or anything if you don't want to read any books i mean dogs can be great elixirs as i dive more into the disability world how they help people with all kinds of disabilities and diagnoses i always say when we do a podcast for this one place i work the ability center how are we so stupid how come we have not put dogs in schools for kids and people decades ago because uh, we're the smartest guy in the room right? <laughs> we have this this hierarchical view of, of animals as that they're supplementary and they've been helping us for a long long time i like to say that you know 26,000 years ago we didn't domesticate them they looked at us and went all right we better send some guys down to help <laughs> yeah and then i mean th- look at all the service animals that are being you know put into play all these organizations creating all these amazing animals to go, to be a service to people 
but I don't think it's nearly enough. And unfortunately, it's, it's so time consuming and expensive to create one service dog. Um, we're, we're just not meeting that need. That's that's why I started this nonprofit. Yeah, my friends at the Ability Center for like a full throttle service dog, um, not an assistance dog or, or anything like that. Service is $25,000. So it's a, a big investment. But there are lo- like lower levels of those dogs that doesn't don't cost nearly as much and they don't open doors or anything like that. I, I have done numerous podcasts with my, my other, my second job and we talked to these school districts and the dog literally just walks through the hallway and everybody lights up and, you know, for decades, we've tried to outsmart ourselves, get more counselors, and you know, let's change the class schedule. And here comes a dog running down the hallway. Dog's always in a good mood. Like I always say, there's never been a time where I came home and the dog was sitting in a chair smoking, saying, "Yeah, you can lick your damn self." Um, they they are wonderful creatures, and I'm so glad that you're doing this and getting the word out, and you know, getting people to break down the barrier of any stigma that they have from attending to their men- mental health. Well, that's. Yeah, that that just still drives me nuts. The the way that we're raised and shamed to take care of ourselves, it's um, it's really unfortunate. But um, yeah, duh. We're, we're getting better, and people are starting to wake up a little bit, and guys are realizing that hey, I can actually take care of myself, and, and you know, and my buddies aren't going to slam me for it. So yeah, I, I can't wait to see what what's around the corner for people. And if you want to like split the baby in some way, uh, adopt a dog and call it Wellbutrin or Cymbalta or something. Um, uh, I was I would say like, what is your like one tenant that you if somebody says, hey, I need some some advice real fast. Um, but I think I know what that is, and and I I like it a lot. Um, my thing that I stole from a football player this past season was one percent better every day, and you're one degree to the left or right different every day. Is that is that your one go to that? seemingly breaks down most barriers for people yeah yeah you, you don't have to do it all at once there's there's a visual i saw and i can't remember if it was on linkedin or facebook but it was the image of these two ladders side by side and one has rungs like every every foot and the other one has rungs like every 10 feet and there's, you know the guy's standing on this one ladder and he cannot reach that next rung it's like we we, we shoot too big all the time or we think we have to do all this stuff the way everybody else says we have to do it you don't do one tiny thing in, in my book I have I, wrote, I think I listed like 50 things you know wash your teeth in a different order brush your teeth in a different way use your left hand you know that that's all I think to start change for yourself do one tiny thing yeah, when we do those things, I forget what what, what book I, I read because I read so many to try to help myself and help others. Um, but it was a, a, a CBT, a cognitive behavioral therapist, is literally doing like micro surgery on your brain by exa- by suggesting exactly what you just did. Just go left out of the house. Uh, put the, the leash on the one dog instead of the other one, and it jars something in your brain, even if it's just like a restart. Like, what do we do when our computers don't work? Restart the damn thing. Our brains are computers. Let's do the same thing with them. Exactly. Exactly. There's a guy that I worked with um, some time ago who, who he reached out to me because he thought I was a dog trainer. And he lives in my town. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's meet. Let's get together. And we were talking. He goes, oh, I thought you trained dogs. I said, no, I'm a man trainer. Yeah. That's what do you mean? So we started talking. And um, he thought he had all these issues with his dogs. Within an hour, this really nice guy, right? But he, he, he broke down. He's bawling. And he realizes that his dog is just responding to him because of what he's got going on. And uh, 
you know, his marriage is failing, all this stuff is going on, and his business is in the tank, and, and he's like, there's nothing wrong with my dog, is there? And I said, nah, your dog's fine. He's just trying to support you. And w- within this hour, you know, he, he has all this stuff come through for him, and, it, and his dog just, like, relaxes. And it's like, oh, fuck, he, got, he gets it. Yeah, there's a lot of things that we see on TV that that are like total bullshit. But like dogs going into burning buildings or sensing someone's dying or in, or in distress, there's there's a lot of legitimacy and authenticity to that. Yeah, well they they have an intelligence that we can't quantify, right? They can't use a scantron for for you older folks. Um, they you know they they don't know how to you know program anything on the computer, but they have this other. Thing that they're tapped into and that's what I try and help guys get to well thank you for doing it um, are you uh, are you a Denver native Colorado native uh, I was born in Boulder so are the are you concerned that the nuggets and the heat are tied up or is this just uh, was that one hiccup in the road let me see I've, I've heard of the nuggets and the heat <laughs> um, yeah I don't, I don't follow I don't follow it got it got it what do you do when you're not doing this stuff? How do you uh, decompress? What's what's maybe uh, your healthy vice that you dive into? Mm, besides carrot cake? Yes. Um, or, yeah, or, or. <laughs> so I like uh, disc golf. Um, my partner and I go hiking and camping and, um, you know, obviously love getting out with my dog, Indigo. She's a Belgian shepherd. She thinks she's a full-on trained police dog. <laughs> Uh, yeah, my, yeah mine, mine are the same. I moved from a like a downtown loft to uh, an area that's actually kind of close to parks. People joke that I became like a Disney princess, and the dogs are always on high alert. There are squirrels, and it's I think it's horny bunny season, and they're always out the back door. It's <laughs> it's insane. Like thank God their energy, and I don't know what would happen if anybody ever broke into the house. They would probably show them where all the peanut butter is. But if a squirrel ever got into the house or a bunny, I would be completely completely safe <laughs> hopefully <laughs> hopefully hopefully uh this is a great chat michael overly how can people uh, track you down uh books and otherwise socials all those things um i'm on linkedin and facebook michael overly um i do have an author page from let your dog lead but i don't spend any time there at all it's just not something i just don't enjoy the social media as much but you can find me there. I can be reached by email at michael at dogsandmen.com. Um, and obviously, www.dogsandmen.com. It just goes to a bunch of uh, interviews and free copies of my books that are out there. So if people download that, they can get them there. I appreciate your uh, practiced aversion to social media. Unfortunately, it's a it's, it's part of my life doing what I do. That I always say that if I ever got out of media, the first thing I do is delete most of the accounts or at least close a lot of them off and just lurk a little bit. Uh, does Indigo have a, an Instagram account or anything? In- <laughs> no, I, I thought of starting something called the Indigo Chronicles. Yeah, um, but I'm um, like, I yeah, just not top of my list what's her uh quirky characteristic or what is she known for other than uh, being a police dog um she does this hopping thing she looks like a damn deer sometimes when she gets excited all fours it's hilarious but she hauls ass she's really fast uh any favorite foods that that she she likes like if it hits the floor she'll catch it before it even hits the floor um yeah, um, everything. Everything. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah. Um, I like to tell people I often don't go for walks. I go for sniffs because I have two beagle mixes and... I, I would rather just leave them out there sometimes because, like, we're out here to do something, boys. Uh, the walk is walk is a walk, but yeah. So oh. I get it. Hey, real quick, I'm glad you brought sure. that up. Most people want they, when they take their dogs for a walk, they just want to walk. You know, when it's exercise, they use so much energy in sniffing because of the the size of the part of their brain that's actually attributed to smell. That um, if you let them smell, you're actually helping them burn energy off, and they will be more relaxed later. So um, let them sniff sometimes. Sometimes you can just power walk, but, but let them sniff because it'll do, it's going to calm them down. And if you do what I help show you, it's going to help calm you down too. I will test this out over the next couple of days. We still have some nice weather here. I will just let them sniff and see how long they can go and see if when we get in the house, they just plop down because th- that is that is their thing. And it, like in addition to policing the neighborhood of animals and people, sniffing the blades of grass, it's, it's something when, when I got to rush up to work sometimes, but I'm going to give it a go. <laughs> I wish you luck. Michael, thanks so much. I'm so glad Janet hooked us up. Uh, this will be posted in the next couple of days or so, and it was great to chat with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. I'm here if you need anything.